I don't know if you've uh, ever been dared to do something or not. You know, what's a dare? Something that, uh, someone egging you on to do something that you wouldn't normally do. Um, you know, I dare you to climb, climb that rock face. Or I dare you to eat that whole double chocolate cake yourself. Uh, I dare you to ride that ostrich, you know. Or I dare you to trust what God has said to you to be true. Sometimes uh, it's the opposite, where your, your mom has said to you, don't you dare throw that. Don't you dare. Have you ever had, don't you dare? And sometimes we just, we just we're not really going to do it, but we're like, uh, uh, uh. Don't you dare! And uh, we're trying to get the rise out of mom or something. A little attention sometimes. But these three messages are going to be focused on uh, pretty important things. I dare you to pray. A lot of us don't take prayer as seriously as we need to, and so I want to focus just today on what that looks like. It's a very simple message. It's really kind of a one-point message about prayer. But I want you to get a grasp on what we're missing out if we're not involved with prayer. The next two messages are Dare to Dream. Uh, I was really struck by an article I read a couple of months back about daring to dream. And I'll get more into that next Sunday. But uh, I, I dare you to come back next Sunday already. <laughs> and then the last one is a Dare to Trust. Dare to trust God with your family, with your future, with your business, with, with your life. And to see what he can make of it, because he is a faithful God. Romans thirteen eleven says, This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. That verse, it can mean a lot of different things, but what it tells me is we don't have time to waste. We don't have time to one day spend time in prayer, one day go deeper in our relationship with God. It's, it's now is the acceptable time. Now is the important time not to waste time. So if you're a teenager here, don't leave going deep with God till you're an adult or till you're a grandparent. Or if you're a teenager, you have a privilege of starting right now in going deep with God, learning how to hear his voice, knowing when he speaks to you. If you do that now, you're going to be far ahead of your parents who maybe came to God later in their life. And you'll be able to do, see God do some amazing things if you start now. It's kind of like saving for retirement. You know, put 25 bucks a month now. And later on, when you're 60, you're, you're going to have so much more. But if you don't start, you won't ever achieve what you could have otherwise. A lot of churches focus so much on running ministries or doing outreach or going on mission trips, feeding the hungry, all good things. But they don't focus a good deal on praying. Uh, when we had our week of prayer and fasting at the beginning of the year in January, it really it warmed my heart, the, the Sunday night that we had a, a culmination of the whole week of coming together. We had people, if you were here, I, I don't know, I almost broke down in tears, but we had here people that had, were holding hands around the entire congregation, around this whole auditorium, looking at one another and, and, and glorifying God, really, and saying, God, this is your year. This is the year that we want to follow you, serve you, to hear from you. It's a fantastic time together. When I was a young pastor, just starting out, I, I didn't know a lot about prayer. I mean, you can go to seminary, get a degree, you can even get a doctorate degree, and not know about prayer if you don't put the time in. There's no shortcuts for going deep in prayer. You just have to put the time in. And I'd, I could say really good prayers. 
you know, I, I was good at praying good things. Um, your dog need healing or your, you know, you need a new job or someone's sick. I could pray good prayers, but I was just saying prayers. I wasn't really praying. And you know there's a difference between just saying a prayer. You've heard those prayers. God bless the giver and the gift. You know, multiply these gifts according to your service. Amen. Like, it's like an answering machine. Dear God, you know, thank you for all the things you've done to us. Uh, leave a message and we'll get back to you. <laughs> Amen. You know, he's saying a prayer isn't actually talking to God. It's just words. It's empty words. But praying is coming before your heavenly Father. It's coming before someone who knows you, who saw what you did yesterday, who, who knows the regrets that you had from the, the last week, something you shouldn't have said. He knows all of this stuff. He knows where you're at emotionally and physically, psychologically. He knows you. And when you just throw a prayer up there, like it's like a candy machine, pop in a loony and pull out a candy, you know, throw a prayer up there and pull an answer. That's not how God functions. He's looking for relationship. Prayer is about relationship with him, knowing him, knowing when he's speaking to you. Do you can you actually identify God's voice? Do you know when he's talking to you? So many Christians go through their whole life on an automatic, just letting it happen, never really intentionally stopping and say, like, what is this all about? Like, how can I know when God's speaking to me? I don't want to miss it. There may be something really important I need to know. And if I don't even know how to identify his voice, I'm in serious trouble at the heart of my relationship with God. Theologian A.W. Tozer said, there's never been a great man or woman of God in the history of mankind who has not been a person of prayer. I'll say that again. There's never been a great man or woman of God in the history of mankind who was not a great person of prayer. Christianity, we look over the history, we see people who spent unhurried, focused time with God. People like Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon, William Carey, Hudson Taylor, Charles Wesley, the list goes on. People actually would get up way before sunlight just to spend intimate time with God. They wanted to know him. And every name that I just read had huge impacts on the Christian world in missions, in theology, in ministry. They started seminaries. They were some of the first people to go into missionary work. And God used them in tremendous ways. But we would never have heard from them if they had not spent time with God first. I used to think that only super spiritual people prayed. I mean, like missionaries and theologians, people that have a, a gift or a ministry of intercession. You know, I, I, I hold them up on pedestals. They will pray all night long for people and for situations. They will give up food. They will give up their sleep just to intercede on behalf of churches and on people and people's situation, going, those like, oh, like closer to God than anyone. But truly, God's not looking for special people. He's just looking for ordinary people who want to know him, who want to go deep with him, who, who when they cry out to him, knows that he hears them. Doesn't matter your education or training. Doesn't matter, uh, matter your, your background. Those who spend little time with God will know very little of God. Those who spend a lot of time with God will go to a relationship with God that they never dreamed possible, an intimacy with God. Imagine Moses. I just look at him and his story, how he could walk up this mountain 
And it says he talked to God like a man talked to his friend. They had a relationship. And he came back glowing because he was in the presence of God. I mean, that's still possible today. If you've seen people that are intimate in the relationship with God, that know him, that spend time with him, and there's something about them. There's something about the spirit that they exude in their life that you know they've been with God. And those are the, tell you, I have a handful of people that when I have a very serious decision to make or situation, when I was coming, deciding to come to this church, I called these people because I know how close they are to God. They're my prayer warriors. And I say, I need you to pray for me. And I say, no problem. I will do it right now. And I'll, I'll call you back when God gives me a word for you. I think, thank you. Next, <laughs> I want you to pray. For... And they call me back like six hours later or the next day. And they said, God spoke to me concerning your situation. And here's what he said. Do you have those kinds of people in your life that you can call? You know that they know. My mom is one of them. I don't know if I told you this before, but... She talks to God through her vacuum. <laughs> Actually, as she's vacuuming, she's looking at all the pictures of her kids on the wall, in the hallway. She's praying for every one of us. She's praying for every one of her grandkids. She's vacuuming. That's her time. No one bugs her. She can vacuum. She's, you know, take half an hour just praying for people constantly. And, you know, I, I would say, uh, there's five kids in my family growing up. None of us ended up in jail. None of us ended up making decisions that uh, would ruin the rest of our life or would we'd follow us the rest of our life. We, I think because she had a hedge of a protection around her kids. We couldn't escape. It's like, oh, you want to do something? And all of a sudden, the, you know, okay, so my, my, I did have a younger brother that climbed over the fence, you know, the, the drive-in theater to hear the show. He got arrested and <laughs> brought home, but didn't affect his life, you know, the rest of it. But... Uh, when we go to make a decision or, or, or a compromise, it's like the police car will drive by or someone you know will show up or you get a phone call. It's like, God, like you won't even let me sin. You know, like, because my mom's prayers were guiding us and protecting us and surrounding us constantly. It's not hard to do, but we just don't seem to have time for it. You know, many Christians today are happy to substitute their own personal prayer and devotions for second-hand relationships. They'd rather read a book about prayer. They'd rather read an autobiography about a prayer warrior or a missionary or a godly person or read a devotional book that someone else wrote. I say that everybody here should write their own devotional book. Start at at the beginning. Take notes when you're going through Genesis. What is this verse saying to me? Write down your notes and and then trade it off with someone else who went through the Bible themselves and wrote their own notes. Why not? Why not? I mean, can you imagine passing down this kind of a book to your kids? This was, this was my walk with God for the last three years. I want you to read what he told me. The insights he showed me. Because I spent time in his word. I was seeking his face. I wanted to know what he had to say for you. You're, you're picking a spouse. You've you're got a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you're thinking about marriage. And I'm praying for you. And here's what God was saying to me during that time. Or when we were struggling as a family, I had to cry out to God to, to intervene, to help us out. And there's, this is March 22nd. Is when I got a word from God that said, it's going to be okay. You're, you'll be all right. Wouldn't that be wonderful for you to start your own devotional journal and then, and then present this? I, 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 uh, I, I have a devotional book that I wrote. It has lots of pages for writing. 
And I gave it to this fellow, and I, and I said, it has a chance you can write down your own thoughts and what God's saying. He says, oh, I would never want my kids to see what I wrote down. He's like, why not? You don't want to be honest with them or authentic or real about your relationship with God? Like, what are you hiding? What kind of relationship do you have with God that you have to hide it from your kids? That's why we don't have a lot of kids coming back to church when they, hide, when they, when they graduate because they didn't see an authentic, real, genuine relationship with God. Too often we're content with living our own relationship through other people. I, I was told, and I, I never heard this before, but I guess it's true, that a lot of members in the church get their relationship with God from their pastor on Sunday morning. So whatever I learn, whatever insights I get and I share to you, that becomes uh, some of the members. That's their, that's their spiritual food for the week. I'm going, that's pretty sad. If all you're depending on is what I have to come up with, how about you depend on what God has to come up with when you spend time in His Word for you and your family and your, your workplace, your, your neighborhood, your, the concerns. What is God saying to you? Not what is God saying to me for you. Because I can do a shotgun approach when I'm preaching, trying to hit a lot of different common themes, but specifically, what does God have to say for you? So I used to think that only holy people, pastors, missionaries were, you know, special. And they had some amazing deep relationship with God. Then I traveled overseas and I hung out with missionaries. And I can tell you, they're just normal, normal people like us. They got fears. They got anxieties. They're, they get angry. They, they pout. <laughs> it's like, no, seriously, they're not as holy as you think. And they struggle too, but they've responded to God's call in their life. And they've gone overseas and they've sacrificed a lot. But still... They have to get on their knees just like everyone else and seek God. Charles Wesley says, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. What do you think about that? God does nothing but in answer to prayer. Let me unwrap that for you a little bit. I think what this is getting at is Wesley says there's a relationship, there's a correlation between God and his people. There's an activity that God wants to do with his people to demonstrate he cares about you, to, to prove he's involved in the world today. It's not saying that we determine God's actions or that he is our slave or he is our servant, that we boss him around by what we're saying. What this is saying is that we, when we have such an intimacy with God, when we come before him and understand how to have that relationship with him, he puts on our heart things that he wants to accomplish. And those are the things that we pray. He's saying, I got a partnership with my people. I want you to know that I am alive and well and can do miraculous things. And so I want you to pray for this person. Pray for this situation. Pray for that country. And as you pray, you're going to see me work. He's inviting us into a relationship and an activity that says, I want you to watch how I do things, but I'm inviting you first. So he brings us to the point of praying first. We don't just come with our shopping list to God. We, we come before God in silence with a blank sheet, piece of paper saying, God, what do you want to do this week? What should I pray for? Who uh, do you want to intervene in their situation? What life are you wanting to change? Who's about to step into eternity that needs prayer? Who is about to make a bad life decision that needs strength? 
Let me pray for those people. And then as you pray for the, the names of people that he puts on your heart, he begins to move. He begins to act. And when the things change and things come about that you're praying for, you say, God, wow, like you're incredible. You're amazing. You actually fulfilled every single prayer I prayed this week. God does lots of stuff on his own. He created the world without prayer. You were born maybe without prayer. I don't know. But what Wesley is saying is there's a partnership between God and his people. He wants to get the glory from his activity. He can just go around healing everybody and giving everyone a wonderful job and everyone a brand new car. But then we would never have to pray. He would just, we would never even need to talk to him except to say thank you all the time. But he chooses to work through his people as they pray. What he needs is to have his spirit work in us, to cause us to seek him and find out just what things are on his list for us to do. We do that through prayer. We discover God's will through prayer. We find out what we are to do in prayer. We find our strength and wisdom and power through prayer. And then we watch as God responds to our prayers to do what he already had in mind to do. So here it says God does nothing in answer to prayer. Let me talk about a few more nothings. When people ask you, what did Pastor Tom preach about? Just say, oh, nothing. (coughs) So John 15, 19 says, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For what he does, the Son does also. In John 8, 28, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, in other words, when you have crucified me, (laughs) and I come to life again, then you will know that I am he, that I do... Nothing on my own authority. Instead, I speak only what the Father has taught me. So the relationship here is between God the Son and God the Father. And God the Son is saying, I don't do anything or say a word except that God tells me what to do and to say. There was no wasted words with Jesus. Everything he said, every, every individual word he said came from the heart of his Father, from the values of his Father, from the, the goals and the that the Father wanted to accomplish. There's another nothing. I am the vine and you are the branches, John 15, 5. The one who abides in me while I abide in him produces much fruit. For apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me you can do no significant thing in my kingdom. There's nothing spiritual that you can achieve without me. I am the only way that you can have a lasting impact on eternity. Talking about the relationship between Christ and members of his body, the church. We're helpless without him. We're powerless without him. We are unable to accomplish anything of eternal significance without him. But working with him, being a part of the vine, the unimaginable, the unfathomable, the unattainable, and the impossible become reality. Because he's a great God. Matthew 17, 20, he told them, For truly I tell you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And what? Nothing will be impossible for you. If you're abiding in the vine, nothing will be impossible for you. The relationship here, again, is between Christ and his people. We don't have the power in us. We have Christ in us. We don't walk around healing people of our own volition. Christ is the one that does that through the power of his spirit. Excuse me. Nothing will be impossible for us when Christ is leading and we are obeying. That all comes in that, the prayer relationship. It doesn't just happen by default. It, it happens uh, on purpose. When we plan to spend time with our Lord, what's another nothing? 
1 Peter 3.7. In a similar way, you husbands, uh-oh, husbands, you must live with your wives in an understanding manner, as with the most delicate vessel. Honor them as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I think sometimes we have a fight with our wife the night before or on the way to church, and we think that somehow what we have to offer God is worth something, and it's not. Nothing you offer God in worship, whether it's your tithes or singing, your prayers, anything is worth anything to him if you're not in right relationship with your spouse. It goes both ways. Wives towards husbands. Parents towards kids. Members towards members. If you have a problem with someone in this, this room, your worship is like zero on the scale. He says, you can't, you can't say you love me, John, uh, 1 John 4.20, and hate your neighbor at the same time. It's not possible. You can't be at odds with someone in your home and still say, you know, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. Going, wait a minute, stop. Go reconcile with your spouse, and then I'll hear your prayers. A lot of nothings. We can't worship God unless we first go and make things right with our brother or sister. Our sacrifices and gifts are worthless to God unless we are treating others with the same care and compassion he treats them. And our prayers will go unheeded unless we are in right relationship with those he's put in our life. So think about this. Before you were a Christian, before you were born again, before you came alive in your spirit, you didn't really have a right <clears throat> to come into the presence of God. You didn't, I mean, you weren't his child. You were his creation, but you didn't belong to him because you were living a rebellious life apart from him. You can maybe throw up a prayer. You know, God, heal my sick kid. We're at the hospital. His fever's 106. But you didn't really have any guarantees he heard you. I mean, you didn't really know God. But once you came into a relationship with God, once you were born again in your spirit, once you gave your life into his hands and surrendered to him as the Lord and Savior of your life, all of a sudden, everything changed. You can march into his presence and lay your burdens down there knowing that he hears what you have to say. You, you know he's your dad, your heavenly father. He cares for you. You submit to him. You come to him. You cry out to him. He listens and he acts on our behalf. Prayer is a way we communicate with God of creation, with our Lord, with the Spirit who lives in us. Prayer is how we have an impact in the kingdom of God around the world. You can pray. I've said this before. You can pray right now for missionaries in Burma and Myanmar and impact their ministry. Through prayer, we can, we can impact the lives and ministries all around the world from our kitchen table. Through prayer, we access the mighty power of God, the wonderful riches of God, the purposeful will of God, and we can know the mind and heart of God. And it's our primary means of communicating with God, and the Word of God is His primary means of communicating with us. So when God called you out of the spiritual darkness from the kingdom of this world, He gave us the ability to know Him personally and intimately and radically, and it doesn't matter, again, what age you are. It doesn't matter what your education is, what your background is, what, what your pedigree is. It doesn't matter. We're all on equal ground before God, and we all have the ability to come before him, to seek him out, to hear from him, to listen to him, to follow him, and watch him do amazing things. So all of you uh, typically have a trade. You have a job. You've got education, some of you. You've got training in schools, or maybe just learned as you went. You have a trade to make a living to uh, you know, pay your bills, to, to have a life in the home you have. But 
As Christian, our trade is prayer. Someone said, Christ learned to be a carpenter for earthly purposes, and he learned to pray for divine purposes. So you've heard this verse a thousand times, 1 Corinthians one twenty six. It's uh, Paul encouraging uh, believers. A lot of the believers, the early church, were former slaves. They were uh, servants. They were blue-collar. Some were wealthy. A, lot, a big smattering of people. And he said uh, to them in 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> You see, you're calling, brothers, that not many of you were wise according to the flesh. Uh, not mighty, many were mighty. Not many are noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. And God has chosen the base things of this world and the things which are despised and the things which are not in order to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh should glory in his presence. In other words, I'm calling you out. You don't have to be special. You just have to be willing. And I'm going to do amazing things through you. I'm going to do things through you that is unimaginable. So how can foolish people confound the wise, according to this verse? Through prayer. How can weak things overcome the mighty? What's the answer? Through prayer. How can lowly and despised things bring to nothing great and powerful things? Through prayer. So as a youth pastor um, 100 years ago, I had this uh, 15-year-old kid. um, His mother came to me and he said, Tom, um, my son's getting beat up every day on the way home from school. Can you talk to him? I said, yeah, of course I can talk to him. So I had uh, Joel come into my office and uh, say, Joel, what's going on? Oh, nothing. How's life? Oh, oh, it's okay. Here getting beat up every day on the way home to school. Oh, that. (laughs) Yeah, that. I said, what's going on? He says, well, this bully... He waits at the corner uh, just, just around the, from my house, and I, there's no way that I can actually bypass him because there's only one way into the cul-de-sac. And so he waits for me. He shoves me down onto the ground, and he, he might kick me or just uh, whatever. And, um, but, uh, you know, it's okay. I can take it. And I said, uh, have you prayed about it? And he says, no. I said, don't you think God actually cares about what's going on? I, I suppose okay, so let's pray. And I prayed for him in the office that God would deal with this situation, that God would take care of Joel as his special child. And um, so um, that was on Wednesday. On Sunday, I said, hey, Joel, how's it going? He says, oh, fine. I said, that, I mean, the bully thing. <laughs> how's the bully thing going? And he says, well, funny thing. I mean, on, um, like the next day, I went to school, and he wasn't there. Apparently, he got suspended for the rest of the semester. I said, really? I said, are you surprised? I said, well, it's a bit of overkill. I mean, (laughs) you know, God can be pretty thorough when he wants to be. But Joel wasn't the only kid that was being bullied. God intervened. I say, you prayed. And how do you know it was God? Well, it's in the timing. Happens right after you pray. When you pray, look to see what God does next. Because he cares. Is there something in your life you haven't bothered to pray about because you think it's, you don't want to bother God? It's like, yeah, you know, I know it's important, but I didn't want to bother you. Like, <laughs> what do you think prayer is for? To bother God, partly. 
Bring him your cares and your concerns and your, your frustrations and anxieties. He has a way through every one of these situations. Paul and Silas were thrown in the Philippian jail, and they were beaten and chained and locked away. They couldn't have been more weak, more helpless, and more lowly, but they served a mighty God and a wise God who cared. They cried out to him, they prayed to him, and they praised him. And not only did the jail cell doors shake open with an earthquake, they saved led to the Lord, the jailer who had beaten them, and his whole family. And I'm sure they became part of the, the church in Philippi. We access God through our prayers, and he acts. He brings glory to his name. We get to see him do that every time we pray, and he answers. E.M. Bounds says God's word is a record of prayer. Of praying men and their achievements, prayerless men have never been used by God. How'd you like to go through all of your life and never be used by God? When you stand before him one day, and you will, one way or the other, you have to give an account of it says every word you said and everything you've done. Wouldn't it be great to have a long list of things that he was able to achieve through you because you connected with him in prayer and, and, and believed in him and followed what he had to say to you and lives were changed for eternity. And he says, well done, well done. I'm proud of you. Abraham prayed in Genesis 20, and God healed King Abimelech and his wife and his servants, and they were able to have children. Isaac prayed for his wife to have children, and Rebekah conceived. Moses prayed to God, and God decided not to destroy his rebellious people. Hezekiah prayed, and it happened that night in 2 Kings 19 that the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. Paul and Silas prayed, and the doors of the jail flew open. Christ prayed, and the loaves of bread and fishes were multiplied. David prayed and delivered him from Goliath. Elijah prayed, and fire came down from Mount Carmel. Christ prayed, and God showed him what disciples that he needed to choose. Elijah prayed, and God raised a dead boy back to life. Did prayer work? You know, I don't like to say prayer works. I like to say God works through prayer. It's not prayer, it's not magic. You can't say a magic incantation, say these, these phrases like on Harry Potter and see things happen. You pray, you talk to God, and you watch what he does next. He's mighty. I want to say today that I dare you. I dare you to pray for the next 30 days, every day, for your spouse and your kids, maybe your grandkids. Pray every day for the next 30 days. That would be July, what, 5th? Something like that. Help me out here. Let's see. Let's see what my watch says. Fifth. Just after the Americans shoot all the fireworks off, we're going to test to see what God's done in 30 days of prayer. I dare you to pray and come before God and watch Him do amazing things in your home, in your relationships. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day, for a chance to honor you through the Lord's Supper, through remembrance of your graciousness towards us, through the millions of answered prayers that you have done for your kids here on this earth. Father God, may we not miss out on what you have in store for us because we decided not to bother, not to bother to pray, not to bother to spend time with you, to, to search in your word for, the, for what you would have to say to us, Father. Father, thank you for the opportunity to pray. You know, you're the only God that we know of that actually answers over 
and over and over and over again because of your great love for us. I pray, God, that many would take up the challenge to pray for their own marriage and their own kids for the next 30 days. And I would want to hear reports back of how you've intervened and broken through where there's silence, healed relationships, brought a new love and deeper appreciation for one another, and where you have answered uh, the concerns of your people for their kids. It's my prayer in Christ's name. Amen.